I'm Afshin Ratansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai and the UAE. This week's US-UK-EU armed bombing of Syria, a human rights NGO denied access to UK jail journalist Julian Assange, let alone the assassination of a Russian journalist, Vladan Tatarsky, in St. Petersburg this week. No, there was just one big story in NATO nations, the arrest of popular opposition leader Donald Trump, who spoke on Tuesday of his possible death penalty. Less prominent was the prospect of nuclear war, as US politicians ignored war warnings from Beijing not to meet Taiwanese politician Tsai Ing-wen in California for more on NATO's second front as it fights Russia through Ukraine is Carl Jha, host of the Silk and Steel podcast about Chinese history, culture and politics. He's in Bali in that foundational nation of the non-aligned movement, Indonesia. Carl Jha, thank you so much for uh, coming on after all these years. I think uh, many people around the world uh, uh, watch your Twitter account, hear your podcasts. Let's just kick off now with uh, what you think of uh, this Taiwanese leader arriving. I don't know why. I mean, why do you think she's even in the US? She said she's going to Guatemala and Belize, and it was just uh, she couldn't get a direct flight and had to fly through New York, which is presumably why she met the Democrat uh, uh, top uh, House leader uh, in uh, New York, and then on the Hakeem Jeffries, and then on the way back, the Reagan Memorial Library to meet Kevin McCarthy, the number two in the US power structure, the House Speaker? Yeah, I mean, of course she can't get a direct flight, right? I mean, the whole, whole purpose of her so-called Latin American trip is really come to the US and to, uh, you know, publicly challenge China. It's a, it's, a, it's a highly provocative move. She knows it. US knows it. US knows where China's red line is. Um, you know, China has stated publicly, you know, Taiwan can do whatever they want as long as they don't, do not declare formal independence. But now U.S. lawmakers are making statements like Taiwan is an independent country. We should respect Taiwan's sovereignty, which is going back on their own commitment to one China policy that was signed by uh, President Nixon back in 1972 with Premier Zhou Enlai, which formed the foundation of the Sino-American relationship ever since. So U.S. is walking back on that because they know where China's red line, red line is. And just like what they do with Russia, when they push, keep on pushing Russia's red line on pushing NATO eastwards, they are now trying to push China's red line on Taiwan because they understand for China, the, 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 just as Ukrainian issue is an emotional issue for the Russians, for the Chinese, Taiwan issue is a highly emotionally charged issue. And U.S. just know which button to push. And they, they're doing this because there's a, think, there's a thinking among uh, some Pentagon hawks that they have a very small, limited time window to contain China right now. Because China is continually to continue to rise. And given five, 10 years, China, Chinese economy will grow to such a scale that United States wouldn't be able to contain China, even if they want to. So the idea is if they have to contain China, they got to do it now. Um, and, well, and we'll get to the economic seeing. prospects in a moment. But I mean, I know that you've said that, um, that unlike Ukraine, 
uh, the Ukraine issue. The PLA Navy would quickly draw in direct U.S. forces. Of course, in Ukraine, the U.S. Is, uh, has special forces there, clearly, and there are some personnel, but most which they deny. And there are uh, billions and billions of dollars of equipment coming from Britain and the European Union. And that once a U.S. warship was sunk, the Biden administration uh, would have to consider, as they call them, tactical nuclear weapons against China. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, a U.S. think tank, I think it's CSIS, recently did a war game on China-U.S. war over Taiwan. They, the conclusion they drew is that without U.S. aid, Taiwan would fall in three months. And um, I saw many street interviews on Taiwan after that news was a uh, breakout. And a lot of the people on Taiwan were surprised. They were surprised to learn that they could hold out for three months without U.S. help. Um, because I thought it was a successful like economy supplying all the semiconductors and chips in our phones. Well, it is, but Taiwan is an island. Unlike Ukraine, you know, Ukraine shares borders with NATO countries like Poland. Taiwan is an island. Chinese Navy can just place blockade around the island, and then, then what? All the chips cannot get out of the island. And, and at that point, U.S. have a choice. Either intervene or set it out. And if the U.S. decide to intervene, then it became a direct war between two nuclear armed superpowers. And we... You know, uh, good luck, everyone. Well, I know that there was a drill last time Nancy Pelosi, then House Speaker, visited uh, Taiwan, seeming to contravene the U.S.'s own one-China policy. But how did it come to this in the first place? The Pentagon says it has 313 bases. These, this is from the Pentagon. Who knows how many black sites and what else? 313 bases before the nine new ones in the Philippines. Uh, that's out of the 750 outside the continental United States. Why... Has it taken so long for China to respond as it's slowly been encircled over these decades, uh, let alone uh, responding to the economic warfare that's been around for quite a few years now? It's not just uh, TikTok suddenly. It was Huawei and others from the European Union sanctioned uh, by Britain, for instance. Well, that's quite right, because uh, first of all, the U.S. encircling of China is nothing, nothing new. It started in 1949, after the establishment of the People's Republic of China. And we, we, in the first half of the Cold War, U.S. placed all its uh, bases around China. That started to change in 1972, when Nixon decided to visit China and place the China cards off against Soviet Union. And... What have changed in the last 10, 15 years is that United States realized suddenly China, uh, contrary to popular belief, China could actually innovate. They are not catching up technologically, militarily, economically. And many people in Washington feel that is a affront to the U.S. hegemony of the world. They, they felt challenged and they felt they have to do something about it. Uh, as for China, for a long time, China felt they could still work with the United States, still work with a globalization effort that was led initially by the United States, because China mostly benefited from globalization. Uh, China received a large injection of Western capitals to develop its own uh, industrial ca uh, capabilities. But what uh, Biden administration has shown is that uh, the, the administration may change from Trump to Biden, but U.S. policy remains the same, which is to be antagonistic 
toward China. I think now China has finally gave up uh, on the U.S. That's why Xi Jinping is not picking up Biden's calls. You know, the White House trying to arrange calls uh, between Xi Jinping and, and Biden. Is and Xi Jinping, uh, uh, is that why Macron is being sent? Because Macron apparently is being talking to uh, Biden before he went to Beijing? Well, uh, I think Macron might not be in Beijing for his own reason, because now EU is under tremendous pressure because of the U.S. imposed sanctions on Russia. There's a high energy prices lead, led to deindustrialization of Europe. Many European industrialists are packing up and leave, left. They went to U.S. because U.S. have cheaper energy prices. And so I think Macron and um, leaders of Germany are realizing that. And this is why uh, you know, a German leader have already paid a visit to China. Now it's Macron's time. Can he be... But do you think the Communist Party can trust uh, Macron? I mean, uh, obviously, in NATO Nation Media, the uh, demonstrations and mass uprisings right across France, from uh, Bordeaux right down to the south, uh, not quite getting the same coverage as uh, those Hong Kong uh, demonstrations uh, a few years ago. But we now know that Macron... Maybe he was privy to what Angela Merkel alleges was that Minsk Accord, which was only a way of delaying the arming for uh, Kiev and Zelensky. How can Macron be trusted? Because he was considered for a while, I think perhaps in Moscow, as a suitable partner for negotiation over Ukraine. Then it turned out he must have known because he was a Minsk party to the agreement before it was ratified at the UN Security Council. Uh, exactly. I mean, ultimately, I think, U.S. runs a very short leash on its so-called European allies. They're more like vassals and, and client states and allies. And, and any European leader dares to go against the U.S. line, they get smacked down pretty quickly. Um, so, but nevertheless, you know, China is still extending, uh, extend, is still opening their door and extending an olive branch is, uh, you know, who, who knows? You know, China did broker the peace deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, lately to surprise of almost everyone. Um, so right now, uh, Macron also understand that whatever they're doing is not working. Whatever the, the, the NATO is currently doing, the war is not going well, well for them. Um, their people are facing high inflation. The economy is tanking. Uh, they have to do something. So there's opportunity there. We'll just have to see what, like you said, what can Macron bring concretely to the table? Well, it was a surprise uh, that China uh, brokered it, but uh, apparently Saudi-Iran uh, negotiations... Uh, Trump, of course, assassinated uh, Soleimani, who was rumoured to have carried a letter. You know the propaganda, uh, hearts and minds uh, impact of the National Endowment of Democracy and uh, even NGOs like Amnesty International. What People can watch our interview with the curious uh, Uyghur um, representative uh, on our Rumble channel on Going Underground. Uh, why is it, do you think, all of that didn't persuade the Global South that China is evil? I know that in the past few days that uh, uh, so-called U.S. intelligence anonymous sources are briefing the media that the Chinese consulate in Los Angeles is paying $400 a demonstrator to demonstrate against, against uh, Tsai of Taiwan in L.A. Everybody can see, even from the AP videos or Reuters videos, she's been heckled all the way. And, and so they have to come up with a plausible story. But uh, as for Global South, I don't 
think many people in the global south buys into the Western propaganda anymore because survey after survey, it shows China has surprisingly um, very positive image among the global south as opposed to um, you know, the so-called international community, which is really the U.S. and its client states in Europe and Japan and South Korea, etc. We're talking about human rights, and Michelle Bachelet, I mean, she has a history of being tortured by CIA-backed regimes in Chile, and she said serious human rights violations in uh, Xinjiang. So is it people getting um, bored or tired of the United Nations itself as a neutral arbiter? I know that uh, UN Secretary General uh, so quick to condemn Russia for what Russia saw as a defense of the people. Uh, from uh, cultural cleansing in uh, Donbass in eastern Ukraine? Yeah, I, I think people can see through the bullshit of the Western propaganda now. I mean, just recently, uh, there was a Chinese journalist, uh, uh, Edward Xu. He challenged the UN, uh, UN uh, spokesperson for UN on the question of why is U.S. illegally occupying Syria and, and the U.S. spokesperson flatly said he does not believe the U.S. military is in Syria, and the Chinese uh, journalist brought out the news that says five U.S. servicemen was injured in Syria. How could U.S. not be in Syria when its military troops are being being injured in in Syria? So this is this is so obvious now to many people who who are not maybe not constantly bombarded by the Western propaganda the way people in the Western country has been subjected to. I mean, this is why even the, all the Muslim countries, none of them has signed on with the U.S. crusade on the so-called um, Xinjiang issue in China. You know, so, and surprise, surprise. And, and you have, edit, instead, we have editorials, edit, after editorial in the Western MSM, decrying why the Muslim country don't care about Xinjiang. Well, maybe because they don't care about fake news. Kaja, I'll stop you there. More from the host of the Silk and Steel podcast after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Silk and Steel's Carl Zha. The uh, NATO nation media are quick to pounce that Xi Jinping, uh, before arriving in Moscow, said the territorial integrity must be respected and pounced on that with regard to China's uh, peace plan in Ukraine. What, what does China mean that uh, territorial integrity must be respected as regards any peace settlement in Ukraine? Does China seriously think uh, the people of Crimea should not get the government they want? That is a very interesting question. But if you look at the Chinese diplomatic position, it has been consistent. It always insisted on respecting territorial integrity and sovereignty because China has its own worries, which is Taiwan. You know, for, for long, China has uh, insisted that you know, Taiwan is part of China and which is agreed to by many by most of the countries that establish diplomatic relationship with China. So for, for China, sovereignty and territorial integrity is very important. Uh, but at the same time, China respect Russian position uh, regarding Ukraine. And this is why when Xi Jinping met with Vladimir Putin, you know, Putin's they they said they they're they're Okay with the Chinese peace proposal, they they they're very much accepting the, the so Chinese. So, what does territorial integrity mean in 
China? Territorial integrity. When it comes means, to Europe. <laughs> uh, when it comes to Europe. Okay, that's a good, 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 good question. Um, I think what China ultimately wants is to do business, all right? Because war is bad for business, uh, unless you are, uh, you know, Lockheed Martin or Raytheon. Uh, but but chi China ultimately wants to see peace and stability in Europe, and um, and, and maybe you know, then, then they can roll out Belt and Road Initiative even into Ukraine. Yeah, right? but that's so this, the point. Uh, Ukraine's biggest trade partner was China. So I, maybe that's what right. they thought in the Pentagon and the State Department at uh, uh, British intelligence services. Oh, well, China will want to keep the largest country in Western Europe, whose biggest trade partner is China, on side and will somehow be decoupled from Moscow. Yeah, I mean, this is this is crazy. China understands what's going on. I mean, there's the, 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 China understands the game is being played. You know, if China do not want to see Russia fail, you know, either in Ukraine or on the European front, because if Russia falls, China will be the next target. And and this is a very clearly understood, not only by the Chinese leader, but even the Chinese public. Everyone knows that U.S. is out to get China, and U.S. is asking China, "Oh, why don't we Why don't you help us sanction Russia?" Um, <laughs> this is quite. I mean, how would China respond? This is you are you are right now slapping sanction after sanction against us, and you are expecting us to somehow to help you sanction against Russia. This is ridiculous. This is why Xi Jinping is not returning phone call of uh, Biden right now. You know, you're, spe point. you're speaking to me from Bali, because quite apart any pressure on China, which obviously probably doesn't work because of China's power, TikTok, Chinese spy balloons and firing missiles at them, the terrible legacy, maybe a million uh, killed at the behest of Washington in Indonesia. How far can uh, Global South leaders, like Widodo in Indonesia, how far can they support BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization? Because he's been saying de-dollarization, decoupling, changing in the economy. He must remember Indonesian history and what happens to Global South leaders who talk about a multipolar world. Uh, but right now, everybody is talking about de-dollarization. Brazil just signed a, 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 a agreement with China to, to trade in yuan. And, and, and France, France concluded LNG deal with China to be concluded in, in Chinese RMB. So it's, this is not just uh, the Global South now. You know, even Macron is... Uh, heading over to Beijing, and and you have even have U.S. Congressman uh, Marco Rubio publicly said, you know, we don't have much time left because it, the the world is going to down the path of de-dollarization so fast that in five years' time we won't be able to sanction any country because they won't be using dollars. <laughs> I mean, it was just basically an admission, uh, uh, you know what? But but it, it's it's a. Uh, it's going to happen. It's regardless what U.S. government is doing. Um, in fact, U.S. government action right now is pushing the dollarization to accelerate because everyone can see if they stay on dollars, they could be sanctioned next. You know, Indonesia could be sanctioned next. Next, Malaysia could be sanctioned next. That's why Malaysian uh, Prime Minister just recently made a speech. He says that Malaysia should not 
tied its development only to to the dollar, only the uh, to the foreign investment in dollars. You know, he's talking about exploring alternatives, and and he course, also Malay Malaysia one can expect, arguably, Mahathir Mohamed famously refusing the IMF uh, uh, advice uh, as regards privatization and neoliberalism in response to previous recessions. But what about the important ones in the region? Japan, South Korea, the Philippines. I mean, is is uh, Beijing just going to watch these nine new bases uh, appear in the Philippines that can attack uh, mainland China? Uh, well, Japan and South Korea, they, they both have been U.S. client states for a long time. U.S. have large military presence in both countries. Philippines is an interesting case because Philippines have been long inside a U.S. sphere of influence. But ever since Duarte, Philippines have been, uh, you know, trying to explore alternatives with China, with Russia. And even today, with the new uh, Filipino president, he's trying to get the best from the both sides. You know, from U.S., he can get some military aid. From China, he can get uh, economic investment, right? Right, Because right now, U.S. doesn't offer anything other than weapons. US, China is the one that's coming to do economic development and investment. To which, of course, NATO Nation media say, oh, in fact, we've got John Perkins on, the Confessions of an Economic Hitman. He's turned against China and said, China's replacing the Washington Consensus Institutions of Bretton Woods. They're just going to be the same. They're leaving indebtedness in the Global South. Well, what China is doing is offer alternative. Before, we only had well, Global South Nation can only turn to IMF or World Bank for loans. And, and we all know the predatory nature of IMF and, and the World Bank. Now they can go say, hey, I can, maybe I can get a better deal with China. I don't have to stick with you, with you, World Bank or IMF, unless you give me a better terms. You know, competition is always good. And at the same time, uh, you know, nobody, China is not holding a gun to any African leaders to force them to, to, sign, uh, uh, to sign on the Belt and Road Initiative. Africans, you have to respect African countries for their own agency. This is, these are the agreement the African leaders are willingly enter into agreement with China. It, it's, you know, it, it takes two hands to clap. So um, it, it's not, it's, it's kind of, um, I think it's kind of degrading to suggest that Africans don't know what's in their own best interest. Yeah, but what is the reaction going to be from the United States? I mean, you believe uh, Seymour Hersh's uh, allegation that the Nord Stream was blown up and destroyed in the worst eco-terror attack by the Biden administration with the CIA. I, I'm presuming you do do believe that. Well, surely yeah, that, can, that can cause havoc to uh, Chinese investments right around the world if it's capable of doing that. Of course, they deny it uh, completely. Um, can China actually withstand it? I mean, usually it just puts a drill on and uh, does a bit of talking. It's not supplying lethal aid to Russia, even for Ukraine. Arguably, Saudi Arabia, which doesn't take uh, the phone calls, and the UAE, where I'm speaking to you from, doesn't take phone calls from Biden. They just, well, in the past week, went for it regarding oil prices. What is China actually doing to defend itself? Oh well, China has uh, has is doing plenty to de uh, defend itself, and China just uh, authorized an increase of military budget by seven percent, and uh, and the Chinese Navy has been expanding at very rapid rate, which uh, alarmed Pentagon because they know if if Chinese truly mobilize, they can produce military hardware at much faster rate than Washington could ever hope. 
Um, you know, right now, all the world's industries in China, China is a country that makes things. You know, U.S., if they want to have a conventional war with China, China can, can, can produce, produce tons of drones, um, uh, uh, missiles, and, uh, and, and destroyers. The, right now, the, the China has one of, Chinese Navy have world's, one of the world's most advanced uh, missile destroyer, Type 55. Um, the U.S. the U.S. planned uh, destroyer. You know, people looking at the the blueprint of the design, and people wonder if U.S. Uh, is just trying to copy the Chinese design. <laughs> Except the U.S. U.S. the latest U.S. destroyer won't be won't be the budget won't be approved until twenty thirty. So you know, so I, I right now I don't even think U.S. could win a conventional war against China. But the real danger is uh, whether it will lead to a nuclear conflict. Because once a U.S. carrier has been sunk in the Taiwan Strait or around Taiwan, is U.S. going to respond to use nuclear weapons? That is the trillion-dollar question. Wow. I think they will. Well, uh, aside from that threat of nuclear uh, war, which is never really mentioned in the NATO nation media, uh, what about um, the European continent? Do you see that as... Uh, in a kind of terminal decline as sanctions policy, as it's arguably sanctions itself, and the weaponization of economic warfare against Russia and China appear to fail, uh, what is going to happen to Western Europe? If the European leaders cannot break out of the bondage to Washington, um, they're, going, they're going down the path of decline that they're currently going through right now. I mean, they're following Washington's failed policy, which benefits Washington, not Europe. You know, like I said, the German industrialists are moving their plants to United States because the gas price is cheaper there. Whereas Germany just got deprived one of its natural uh, trade partners and, and major source of energy, Russia. It's, it's quite ridiculous. I mean, any sensible person, a uh, German person, would see this is to the detriment of Germany. But right now, the problem is the European leaders are still beholden to Washington. And the moment they deviate from the official line, they get smacked down. So we're going to have to see when do the European leaders start to throw some backbone. Kaja, thank you. Thank you. And that's it for the show. We'll be back on Monday to assess the depth of economic catastrophe facing NATO countries threatening China with author and chief economist Professor Dan Lacaye. But until then, you can keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country. And head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com, to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Monday.